this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, this week we're back with another roundtable discussion. Last year, we did Guitar Gods of the 90s. Jay, this year, Drummers of the 1990s. Are you excited? Woot. I am. Indeed. There it is. (laughs) That just happened. Yeah. I don't know that we'll ever do um, maybe like saxophonists of the 90s. That might be a short list. Mm. But uh, I'll consider it. We'll do bass players. We'll do lead singers. We'll do keyboard players yeah Yeah, we'll do keyboards we'll do extra percussionists we'll do stage dancers so we can talk Uh, about that guy there were some uh horn sections in some 90s bands so yeah but this week it's drummers and if we're going to talk drummers and and you know all the things that we like to talk about when we do these types of episodes which is talk about our favorites our underappreciated and that kind of stuff we got to have some drummers on because Jay, I don't play drums. I can't even program drums on a basic Casio keyboard. That's how lame I am when it comes to drums. So I got some, I got some real heavy hitters, so to speak, to use drum lingo. Jay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I got a room of John Bonhams. <laughs> uh, joining us, he's back. He's been here before. He could host this episode. If we wanted him to, I could just step out the door. But uh, joining us from Dallas, from the Dallas Observer, from ThebeParkExperience.blogspot.com, from Do You Know Who You Are podcast, from books, from all sorts of things, Eric Grubbs, (laughs) welcome back. Hello, guys. Glad to be back and always happy to talk about drummers. Yes. What is your current music project? Oh, I'm in two bands right now. I play drums in a punk band that really likes the Misfits and Weezer. We're called Creatures and Chemicals. And uh, I play in a band that uh, I think of as as doom pop uh, called Cave Mountains. And uh, I play drums on a few of the songs, but lately with the new material, I've been playing more bass and singing, or more specifically, just kind of shouting. So, cool. um, yeah, so those are my two bands. Nice. And then also joining us from the left coast, you will know him from such bands as Shiner and Year of the Rabbit, Mr. Tim Dow. Welcome, Tim, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, you were telling us if people want to check out the stuff that you have played on, not just with those bands, but also other projects that you've been involved with over the years. They go to Spotify, and where can they find that Spotify playlist? So my username on there is Timothy E. Dow, D-O-W. And there's a, I think all, most of my playlists are public, but there, I know definitely there's one called Timbo, T-I-M-B-O. Uh, and that's got all the stuff 
that I've played on that I know of that's on Spotify. There might be other things that aren't available on Spotify, but I made a playlist for some friends at work, you know, so they could hear stuff I had played on and that's it. Awesome. Yeah. And this is one of the rare occurrences where we've actually, we're, we're having a guest on of an album that we've actually re- reviewed back in the day, back in season one. This happened before with, uh, well, actually it's happened now, I think Jay four times, because if you go back to season one, we reviewed this album, Shiner's Lula Divinia. We reviewed mm-hmm. Failure's Fantastic Planet. We reviewed Paw, Dragline, and then later Mark Hennessy joined us. And of course, Kelly yeah. Scott joined us from Failure multiple times. And then we also, did we do Super Drag that first year, or was that like the second season? Uh, I, think we, I think we reviewed it before. It was before yeah. John Davis came on, but I, I, yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. if it was first or Yeah, I think it's season. the first season. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So what I'm saying is eventually we're going to have everybody on from every band that we reviewed right. in the first season. <laughs> so watch out bands that I can't remember that we did because it was <laughs> seven and a half years ago. So we're going to talk drummers and we're going to talk about our favorite drummers of the 90s, our underappreciated drummers. Those are drummers that we think did not get enough love. Maybe they played in lesser known bands. Maybe they just got overshadowed by an amazing guitar player or lead singer. Probably not an amazing bass player. Let's just be honest. There's not a lot of, you know, Les Claypools out there. And then uh, we'll talk about our favorite drum parts and songs. And the fun part of that, about this episode is we're going to have an awesome playlist that we're going to put up on Spotify for people to check out. In case you didn't know, whenever we do roundtable episodes like this, whatever the episode is, we usually put up a Spotify playlist for all the music that we talked about, plus maybe some of the stuff that we thought of 10 minutes after the episode and said, oh, we got to put that one in too. So if you go to Spotify and find Dig Me Out, you'll find a playlist for this episode, or you can just go to digmeoutpodcast.com and you can link right from there. And of course, during this episode, we'll get to our comments from our Patreon subscribers, our patrons who give us lots of fun feedback over at Patreon dot com forward slash dig me out all right let's get to the meat let's get to the the stuff we want to talk about here which is our favorite drummers from the 90s so i'm just going to go around the room i'll throw it out to each of you i'm going to start with our 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 newest guest tim who's not been on the show before can you share with us one of your favorite drummers from the 90s and why well probably my favorite living drummer period is matt cameron but, you know, I'd say the 90s were, you know, probably his glory days, so mm-hmm. to speak. I mean, he's still out there ripping it. That's one of the things, you know, like when bands do like reunion tours and whatnot, it always seems as musicians get older, the drummers always seem to be the first ones where you notice uh, that they're maybe maybe losing a step. And I don't think Matt Cameron has lost a step at all. I think that guy's amazing. Uh, he plays across crazy time signatures so smoothly and and has uh, he's able to groove in odd time signatures, which is, you know, that's pretty great when even people who don't even know anything about time signatures can just kind of like bob their head along with something that's in like seven, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely one of my favorites. 
he's not an underappreciated drummer at all. So uh, no, but he uh, he's he's definitely one of my favorites. If you want to hear drummers that are probably lesser known, Reynolds Washam or Ray Washam from Rape Man, and he was in Scratch Acid also. Like I, I love that guy. He's one of my favorite drummers too. John McIntyre from uh, CNK Cake and going all the way back to Bastro. Like his drumming in Bastro was phenomenal. Orestes Dilator from uh, Bitch Magnet. It's another guy probably not a lot of people know of, but amazing amazing drummer you got to throw some love out to my homie jason gherkin who yes. was the drummer in shiner after me not only was he an amazing drummer but i was lucky enough to you know live in the same town with him play on the same bills with him a lot and uh it was just amazing just to watch him all the time definitely got a lot of stole a lot of stuff from him and um got a lot of inspiration from him and then on that same note probably zach barocas was you know one of the biggest influences on me in the 90s just because Shiner did a lot of stuff with Jawbox, you know, we played a lot of shows with them. Uh, DeSoto Records put out our record, so. Right. Well, let me ask you, you mentioned about, you know, being in the same town with Jason and, and playing with with Zach. Um, what what were the records or what um, drummers, when you were first learning to play, were influences on you? When I very first decided I wanted to play drums. I was in like sixth grade, which was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I think I was, I think I counted up. I'd been playing, playing drums for like 32 years, somewhere around there. Um, but, you know, I was all about the classic rock and Rush was the first thing where I was like, wow, you know, obviously you can pick the drums out in that, you know. Um, when, when a drummer's going crazy like that, you're like, oh, wow, listen to those drums. Uh, so that's what inspired me to, you know, want to be a drummer. And then Led Zeppelin, obviously, you know, John Bonham's, if I had to pick one drummer, it's got to be like, you know, I think he basically invented modern rock drumming because most guys before him were very jazz oriented. Uh, and then he kind of brought that, you know, funk kind of, backbeat you know heavy hitting type style right so eric let me ask you same question well first let me start um how long have you been playing drums i've been playing drums since 1994 uh for my 15th birthday after a couple of years of begging i got a drum set (laughs) and um i've been playing drums 
almost ever since. I mean, there were a couple of years where I was playing more guitar, uh, but I've been I've overall I've been a drummer since 1994. Okay, so you you picked it up in the 90s then. So yeah, what would you say in terms of uh, you know favorite drummer? Are you what would you list in terms of 90s drummers? Uh, the top four that I came up with, um, kind of you know as as somebody that wasn't really aware that there was like an underground going on. Like I kind of knew about it through like skating magazines. Like I heard of suicidal tendencies and misfits, but as far as like the influential ones that made me want to play drums instead of play guitar, like seemingly every other kid that I knew that played uh, an instrument, um, it comes down to four guys, uh, Dave Grohl, who was in scream and he joined Nirvana. Uh, Dave Abruzis or Abruzesis. I, I still have never heard how you properly say his last name, <laughs> uh, but he was uh, he was born in Connecticut, uh, but uh, lived in Mesquite for a long time and went to at the time it was known as North Texas State, now known as UNT. And um, he was friends with Matt Chamberlain, who was a fill in drummer for Pearl Jam. And he left that group because he didn't want to tour as much. And also he got a little gig playing for the Saturday Night Live band. So he recommended Dave to replace, um, to basically replicate the parts that Dave Cruzen played on Pearl Jam's 10. And uh, Dave, uh, Dave, that Dave, um, I mean, watching the Evenflow video and then watching uh, the MTV Unplugged was huge for me there was something about like watching a video was great but then watching a band play live in a studio was even better i mean seeing uh, like what really sealed the deal for me with dave grohl is that when nirvana did a set right after nevermind started to take off and i i've never seen a drummer set up this way where you had the hi-hat as high as most people put crash cymbals um you have uh these large drums facing like away from you and you have this you're a short guy and you can sing really high <laughs> so big impact on me and the two other drummers jimmy chamberlain of uh, smashing pumpkins and mike portnoy longtime drummer of dream theater so i mean it's it's like i was a modern drummer subscriber from 1994 until college i mean drumming was something that i was all into Unfortunately, in retrospect, I was more about showing off as a drummer, not being a good drummer. It was more about hitting really hard and impressing people. Um, and like Lars Ulrich was a huge influence on me as well. So, but you know, he got his he got his name started in the '80s. So I'm just focusing on the '90s. But yeah, Dave uh, Dave Grohl, Dave Abruzis, uh, Jimmy Chamberlain, and Mike Portnoy for me. Excellent. You know, I just want to mention something because i'm not as a listener too clued into a lot of technical stuff when it comes to drummers so i hear like lars ulrich gets slagged on a lot when it comes <laughs> to playing drums and i'm i don't right. know what like he does wrong that causes he rushes. people to groan he rushes he speeds up um it yeah, and that's a I mean, it's a live thing, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, like a great case in point is that if you listen to the live shit binge and purge uh, collection, where it's them in Mexico City, the very first song is Inner Sandman. James Hetfield is starting to play it at a certain tempo. Well, then Lars just gets really excited, and and that 
had a huge impact on me as a drummer of like, you know, when you play with passion, you know, you're screaming your head off and everything. Usually that means that when it comes time to like kick a song in, you, you start to play a little bit faster and then you get to the chorus and it's even faster. Um, I would say that's kind of the, the criticism that Lars gets the most. I think overall he's a great drummer, but as far as like having an impact on aspiring drummers, it's like, uh, yeah, people don't like it when you rush. Gotcha. Okay. I guess cause I've never seen them live. I don't have that experience. So all I know is from the recordings and I assume he's playing to yeah. a, a click or, you know, they're keeping him in line. Oh, sure. Live. I bet he's not playing recorded. to a click live. Or not not live, I mean recorded. Do you think yeah. he's playing to a click recorded? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Especially right. if he's, I mean, with Bob Rock as a producer, I mean, there's no chance that it's not a click. I would I would guess. I mean, gotcha. Yeah. Jay, tell me. Uh, well, first of all, uh, when did you first start playing drums? Who were you listening to? And who are your favorite drummers? I started playing in the early 90s, maybe 1990. But I, I've played off and on. I go long, I go many, many years without playing. So, but at the time, I was coming out of like the '80s, hard rock, metal, pop metal stuff. So I'm, I'm thinking like in the '90s, probably Dave Abruzzi's was the one of the first drummers that I really I got excited about, just because it um it was different. He had a, tons of energy. He performed, you know, some some drummers of that area started to fall in the background and he definitely like stood out. And that's probably the reason why he got fired. So I, I just I thought he was really refreshing at the time, played different. I was into Mike Portnoy just because I was coming out of that type of music. And then he was going in a whole other place that I didn't think was po- physically possible. I, I, first time I heard Metropolis Part One, I, I just couldn't understand what was going on, like how a human being could do that. And I think as I moved forward, Sean Kinney became a drummer that I liked a lot. Um, I thought like he took some of those Allison Chain songs, which can be a little dirgy and from a guitar and rhythm standpoint, aren't that interesting. But when you put his drums in them, uh, they really come alive. I think a song like Wood, mm-hmm. um, there's just this darkness to it that that I, I think has as much to do with the drums as it does the the bass line. So I, I was a big fan of his. I, th- I thought he made that band to me really compelling. I think without him, I don't know that I would be in that into that band. And then as the decade went on, Kelly Scott, obviously, I got into more of the post-punk stuff. So, and Jimmy Chamberlain as well. He was another uh, drummer, I think, at the time where right. there was something different there. Like, you could just tell right away. Um, he was coming from a different school. 
Like he wasn't, he wasn't as much John Bonham as most other drummers were. Um, there was something else like a jazz kind of influence to what he was doing that was really different. So he always stood out to me as well. You know what it is about Jimmy Chamberlain that uh, I, I figured out, I used to book, book this club in Kansas City a uh, long time ago. And I think it was right before Gish came out. I booked uh, Smashing Pumpkins opening for Afghan Wigs uh, at this place wow. called the Grand Emporium. Yeah. And no, you know, I think Gish was out because I knew the songs. But he had his drum set up in this way. I, I played in a high school band for about five minutes, but I, you know, like the, what do they call them? The tri-toms or the quad toms or whatever. Uh, the guys in the marching band that have the toms. Anyway, mm -hmm. he had his toms kind of, his toms were kind of set up in that configuration. And so I asked him after, I was like, you had to have been in a high school band, like marching band or something. He's like, oh yeah, I did that all, you know, jazz band. Mm. Uh, Cause you could really tell he was like formally trained, you know? Yeah. He his like hands and wrists were different than your For typical sure. rock drummer. Like a yeah, typical rock drummer hits super hard and it's all mm -hmm. about impact. And he was doing all this really fast wrist and arm stuff that you didn't hear a lot of the drummers do at the time. Yeah, he wasn't just like a basher. Like he definitely, uh, you know, had like a little more finesse to it. I love him. I, I think he's a great drummer. Yeah, a great example of that is the I Am One intro. You know, yeah. here it is like this rack tom to snare to hi-hat barks to a little bit of the splashes and i mean just you, i mean a lot of drummers like to play on the 404 but he could play some very sophisticated things on a one <laughs> on a 404 beat absolutely yeah that guy's great so let me throw out some names from folks on patreon and i want to get your feedback on uh, some of these drummers that got mentioned. Now, you you guys mentioned some of them, so I'm, I can say, like for example, uh, you know, Scott Witt said Mike Portnoy. He also mentioned Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Samantha yeah. Maloney mm -hmm. played with uh, a couple of different bands, including Motley Crue at one point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but she got her name known as uh, uh, originally as the drummer for Shift, and then she replaced uh, Patty Schmel, which I'll get to her a little bit later. But and she whole, replaced. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she replaced her in Hull, and then yeah. randomly she's in Motley Crue. Okay. <laughs> well, she's here. She, I know she lives here in L.A. I think it had sometimes, you know, well, I'm not going to say that I know how it happened, but I will say that, you know, for as many musicians as there are in L.A., they're surprisingly, you know, when you need somebody, the pool of musicians gets very small, you know. So maybe she knew somebody, um, but she's a good drummer. Yeah, definitely really excellent. saw. I didn't see any. I haven't seen any stuff of her with Motley Crue though. Have you guys? I yeah. actually saw them on that tour. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was. It was, it was a tattoo. what? Uh, yeah, it was new like a tattoo, 90, right? 98 or ninety nine. I think. Yeah, I think it was the new tattoo tour. Yeah, when Tommy yeah. Lee's like, man, hip hop. That's where I'm at, man. That's where I'm Nights at. of mayhem. Yeah, <laughs> get naked. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. Uh. Right. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> um scott witt also said uh the guy from 311 had the worst drum sound in the history of mankind we can all agree <laughs> yes. that the piccolo oh, snare really? was Chad a Sexton? uh well just, that it's that piccolo snare yeah that, that definitely if guys hey uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna tear that apart you got to tear apart john stanier of helmet because he had the same kind of uh drum sound uh, that, 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 that which record 
actually my buddy Dave uh, Sardi did the Betty record. And yeah. uh, when they were tracking, he was telling me, like, he asked John Stanier if he's going to tune his snare drum. He's like, it's in tune. He's like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 he had him pitch it down a little bit and change it. But if you listen to that compared to, like, strap it on, the drum sounds 100% yeah. different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have, we have reviewed both strap it on and early bark market. So we're oh, awesome. We're familiar with those with those drum sounds. Um, actually, John Steiner got brought up uh, by Davey Bright, who also mentioned Janet Weiss of Slater Kinney. He says she yeah. absolutely transformed the band and still to this day, 20 something years later. Dig Me Out is my favorite uh, Slater Kinney album. Ours, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, he yeah. mentioned Brent- name a podcast after that. Oh, we should. Um <laughs> We were going to call this all hands on the bad one, but then we realized that might be taken the wrong way. So didn't um, Janet Weiss play in the, the earliest uh, Stephen Malkmus solo stuff yeah. like the Jicks? And I think uh, she played maybe I, on the I, first record or something, or I, maybe I, I saw live she, footage of them together. I don't think she plays on Stephen Malkmus's first solo album, but she, be, when he be, decided to do like Steve Malkmus and the Jicks, she was the drummer. And yeah. I actually just finished reading Carrie Brownstein's memoir, which is just all about grow, growing up uh, and Slater Kenny. And oh, by the way, I was on a TV show called Portlandia. But anyway, right. back to Slater Kenny. Um, sure. But they talk, she talks about how important Janet was because they had like two or three different drummers. Yeah. Um, but really, Janet was the one that made them like they had an incredible sound already they janet just gave them the solid foundation and i i was inspired to listen to the the woods after reading that book and i'm like man this record still slays even though it's not not a 90s record but you know what i mean right just Uh, because of her drumming davy bright also mentioned brendan canty from fugazi oh yeah i I think that's pretty if that was not picked as a favorite drummer i think that was going to come up in underappreciated drummers perhaps Gary Moran brought up Tim Herb Alexander from Primus. Yep. Awesome. Uh, Piccolo oh yeah. there. That's a yep. Uh, Prize Piccolo City. Crawford yep. Blair mentioned Mac McNeely from Jesus Lizard. And then Adam Wade from Jawbox and Shudder to Think. Yep. I feel like everybody Adam plays Wade, with just the... for memorizing those parts on uh, Pony Express record. Like, yeah. I remember seeing him on that tour and he's, you know, I can like see him counting out like seven, 14, you know, like yeah. those, those hey. time signatures or how many times they do a riff on there. I would melt can my I, brain. Can I share with, with y'all a funny little Adam Wade story, by the way, please do is sure. that when I, when I met him, uh, I was, I was working on my first book and I said, Hey, I'm working on a book where Jawbox has a chapter devoted to him. He's like, really? I mean, he, he was like jumping out of his seat about it. So then I interview him all, all these months later and I said, Adam, you know, what's funny is like I, I, I listened to a lot of your drum fills, you know, how you, the kind of feel and, you know, certain kind of hits you do on grip and novelty and especially novelty. And I realized, man, man, I'm ripping you off. And he just laughed and said, man, I was ripping off John Stanier. So you weren't ripping me off. <laughs> so it's like uh, everybody's okay. ripping off somebody. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. I'll just mention that, uh, you know, we've mentioned Jawbox here a couple times. I also want to mention, um, you know, I think anybody who plays with Jay Robbins is probably going to 
be a pretty solid drummer. Peter Moffat, who plays on the Burning oh, yeah. Airlines records. Those are some I of my gonna, f- actually, favorite. I was going to mention Peter Moffat, uh, even going back to the, like, the government issue records, like You and Crash. Like Those mm-hmm. were a really big influence on me. Uh, I guess that's Jade, pre- pre-90s. Eyes. Pre-90s, yeah, but uh, yeah. the drumming on those records is phenomenal. So good. Jaded Eyes, that's such a great song. Yeah. Um, Jay mentioned Kelly Scott, also one of my one of my favorite drummers, and um, I also wanted to mention uh, this is a little bit outside the rock realm in in certain ways, but Michael Bland from the New oh, Power yeah. Generation played with Prince throughout the '90s. He also played on the last Soul Asylum record that came out like two years ago. You know, I think anybody yeah. who plays with Prince gets overshadowed by Prince, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're just amazing rhythms on those songs and just one of the best drummers of the decade. And I had, I had uh Brad Wilk of rage against the machine just because of the fact that like, as someone who's not a drummer, who's just listening for pure feel, like all those rage against the machine songs. And I actually like the second record, the best, uh, evil empire. Like, yeah, if I'm nodding my head along to, to those songs and, you know, Tom Morello's doing some weird scratching guitar solo, but I'm still able to like lock into the groove of the song as a casual listener, then he's doing something right. So uh, yeah, I would, I'd put Brad Wilk up there. I let's get into some underappreciated drummers. Um, Sure. Tim, you mentioned a couple. Do you have any other ones that you wanted to mention as far as underappreciated that might, we might've missed? Um, well, I, I, I probably would change it to not necessarily underappreciated because I think a lot of the the drummers that I really like were definitely appreciated by the people who actually heard them. You know, I think it's just right. a matter of the expo- exposure wasn't as much, you know, the internet wasn't quite what it was back then. And I think, you know, some bands never got popular enough for, for people to hear. But like Shiner was a good example of... Uh, I don't think our our band was necessarily underappreciated. We were just probably underexposed, I guess would be the word. Sure. Um, so there's definitely a lot of like underexposed drummers where, you know, they were great. But yeah, Ray Washam's probably at the top of my list with that. I, uh, I think the biggest thing he did was ministry uh, after, you know, like he started out in Scratch Acid, um, and then moved on to, uh, I think Rape Man was right after that with Steve Albini, and I think moved right on to Tad after that. Um, but the Tad thing was kind of short-lived, and I don't even know if he played on a record with him. I think it was just a touring thing, but he's a great drummer. Martin Atkins, I remember seeing him with Killing Joke somewhere in the 90s, and that blew my mind. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. Oh, you know, actually, no means no. The drummer for no means no. I was going to say that guy because uh, I think just them as musicians, because they're you know they're a really kind of goofy kind of punk band. Or not goofy, but you know, I don't think people really recognize what great musicians that that whole band is. But specifically the rhythm section, they're phenomenal. What about and you? I don't know his name off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> You to guys? Wikipedia we go. Yeah, somebody, yeah, somebody go. get the Wikipedia roll. Nah, not off the top of my head. As what do you, what wait, do you did I lose as, you guys? No, I was going to ask you, what do you have as far as your choices uh, for uh, 
for underappreciated folks that you didn't think got, ex- got enough exposure or maybe were overshadowed. Yeah, I, a couple of these are all known drummers, but uh, for whatever reason, just time hasn't been kind to them as far as like if they were in a band, but then like they they quit the band or something. And then like the people that remain in the band, like talk a lot of shit about them. Uh, William Goldsmith, uh, who played in the sunny day real estate all throughout his time, you know, they reunited a couple of times and he was in the Foo Fighters and, you know, just the unfortunate thing about what happened with him is that, uh, you know, he got replaced in the studio, uh, after Gil Norton just tried to beat the hell out of him trying to make, something sound good and you know he felt betrayed that uh dave grohl played uh re-recorded all of his parts and i can understand why he quit the band so it's kind of been unfortunate that uh you know it's like oh yeah well william goldsmith but it's like william goldsmith's uh contributions to playing in uh sunday real estate immense 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 i mean and and i'm just I've heard it in other drummers, and it's a big influence on me. It's probably one of the first reasons why I hit the 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 bell of the cymbal a lot, and I still do it to this day. Um, yeah, I think I probably ripped that off from him too. If you listen to Lula Divinia, there's definitely there's a song on there called Four Feet of Fence, and I think like that the first like verse part is just verbatim a Sunny Day Real Estate song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a, another drummer I would say is um, Alan White of Oasis. I mean, it's really easy to slag Tony McCarroll, the drummer on Definitely Maybe, because he was very, very basic. But the thing is, is that the material was very basic, so his uh, very basic drumming fit. But Alan White's drumming was just like, it had so much like swing to it that, you know, just like Don't Look Back in Anger, Champagne Supernova, all around the world. I mean, his drumming was just incredible. Unfortunately, it seems like any time, like if any time that he is brought up, he's dismissed like uh noel gallagher said that when they were recording be here now it's like well alan will start the song at one speed and then by the end of it he's like double speed and it's like well that's kind of a lot of drummers problems and then there was that oasis supersonic documentary which is excellent but for yeah, whatever reason but for whatever reason they had to digitally erase him from live performances so you see like them performing at nebworth without a drummer and but you hear the drum it, it's just it doesn't make any sense but he had just a great jazzy sort of flair to making that material work Another one, and this is just due to the fact that, uh, well, the band is named after the singer, uh, but Darren Jesse of uh, Ben Folds Five, 
you know, Ben Folds is an incredible songwriter, still one of my most all-time favorite songwriters, but Darren's drumming, and also he contributed a lot of uh, songwriting stuff. I mean, he was the one that came up with the chorus vocal melody for Brick. So that means that he'll probably always be making good money off of a song about, you know, taking your girlfriend to get an abortion. But um, uh, just his drumming, just it it was clear that he had like jazz influence in his playing, but also could really rock and really rip. So and one other one I'll I'll say is uh, just another example of somebody just getting replaced in the studios, Patty Chamel of a hole. And uh, I mean, her playing was excellent. You want an example of it? Live, listen to Live Through This. She is such an incredible drummer. And it was very unfortunate that she was replaced by Dean Castronovo, who is a fine drummer, but if apparently if you're going to work with Michael Beinhorn in the 90s, you were going to be replaced by Dean Castronovo. Just ask Chuck Biscuits, because he's not actually the drummer on Social Distortions, White Light, White Heat, White Trash. It's actually Dean Castronovo playing all those eight counts. I guarantee he ain't drumming on uh, Super Unknown. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Ain't no replacing Matt Cameron. Right. All right. You should try, Dean. Actually, I saw (laughs) Soundgarden live. Uh, Matt Cameron had uh, prior engagements with Pearl Jam, so it was Matt Chamberlain playing, and he did a you know as good of a job as somebody could be expected to do. Um, Matt Chamberlain actually is probably an underappreciated drummer. but he's played on like a million things, you know, like yeah. he was Tori Amos's drummer and he's, you know, he's played, he's always been like a studio guy, but, uh, he actually, I, I thought he played drums, uh, on some of that first, uh, Pearl Jam record on 10. I know, no. I know he's in no. the, one of the videos. He's in the alive video. Uh, Dave, Dave Cruz and tracked all of that record. Oh, he did. Okay. Um, but, but the disease of, uh, addiction, made Dave be like, I can't be in this band. And so then Matt Chamberlain was brought in and then he's like, I don't want to tour this much. Right. It's just so unfortunate watching that Pearl Jam 20 documentary. It's excellent. But how they minimize some of the most important drummers in that band is, I mean, especially Dave Abruzzese or Abruzzese. I'm just going to say it in every sort of permutation, just inspiring as hell. And so to just limit it as, yeah, it didn't work out. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, you know what that is, though. I mean, that's just if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I think they keep exactly. it. You know, obviously, there yeah. was something that happened and they don't want to, you know, shit on him and he doesn't want to yeah. be shit on. So, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Uh, I get it. Um, yeah. But things happen like that in bands. People don't get along. Uh, yeah. But that guy was a great drummer and especially mm-hmm. a phenomenal live drummer. He just gave a lot of energy to that band. Definitely. So, Jay, are there any left for you to uh, add in here as far as underappreciated drummers? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to um, mention Tony Hajar from After Drive-In. So uh, great, great that's a band drummer. that uh, I think when they did a Relationship Command and they actually turned the drums up, <laughs> uh, you saw how amazing he was. Um, and... I think the, you know, he's doing some, I mean, the band in general is doing things that are different in terms of bringing in Latin rhythms and percussion and even touching on electronic things and just the energy. I mean, you're talking about really, I guess, at the heart of the band, they're a punk band, but they're also very technical um, and high energy, high tempo. So 
yeah, I was blown away by him uh, when I when I first heard that record, and um, I love the stuff he did in Sparta as well. And, and I guess another one I'll throw out, um, you know, there's some some bands that were really popular, but you don't think of the drummers. And two of those would be Jeremy Taggart from Our, Our Lady Peace. That's a band. The first oh, yeah. two, records, especially the first one, mm-hmm. I think he was like 16 years old or something ridiculous when he made that record, and. Um, just great performances. I mean, it just, yeah. it just sounds like a kid just having a blast and it sounds real and not generic. It just sounds like an authentic band. And then Steve Gorman from the black crows, I think Southern harmony is their first record in the nineties. And, uh, they had a string of records there through, through the mid nineties that were, were pretty amazing. And that's the kind of music where you can just get a drummer and play it and it's fine. But he, He's different. Um, he brings some amazing feel to that material, and uh, I think he's one of the reasons why they're a you know a compelling band and not just a snorefest um, in terms of you know the type of music they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that band could easily be Blues Hammer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> From yeah. Uh, was it Ghost World? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. They definitely. Uh, the rhythm section stops them from, you know, getting into that territory. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, Southern gr- harmony is such a great record. I love that record. Yeah. A great example of how good of a drummer he is and w- what he means to the music is listen to that song. Wiser time from, mm-hmm. uh, is that from Amorica? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Love I mean, just, yeah, just, you know, just the right kind of feel for that and a cowbell. to do i don't know if you guys ever heard that uh jimmy page black crows oh like, yeah i think it's at yeah. the greek theater or whatever but i mean yeah. you know anybody that's even <laughs> attempting to play any like zeppelin stuff you know i thought he did a great job that's right yeah i forgot about that i always forget that they did that mm-hmm. man i wish i would have saw really that live. Good. it's recorded yeah. really well uh, a couple of drummers that I want to mention throw into the discussion here one is uh joe easley of dismemberment plan uh, we toured with them. Just Steiner did. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have. I don't know if I saw that tour or not. I think it maybe have been with Jawbox and Dismemberment Plan. Okay, played some shows. Yeah, and I think he answered an ad joining the band where it's all like we're influenced by Slint and Cool and the Gang. Mm-hmm. Seriously, seriously, right on. <laughs> but like, if you listen to his playing on on a song like The Other Side on Changes, I mean, or The City on. Um, Emergency, emergency and I. And I. I mean, yeah. I don't. I I don't know from a technical standpoint what he's doing. I just know it sounds like incredibly cool and complex. But then he can do very simple driving beats, like "What do you want me to say?" It just has that like repetitiveness that like probably doesn't sound difficult, but to maintain that consistency is 
you know, as you guys have mentioned, sometimes drummers have a tendency to speed up or slow down or whatever. But like, we it's just, just get like this excited. That's why we speed yeah, up. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> well, sometimes you know that that's what is better about you know you may nine times out of ten you want the energy of maybe bumping up the tempo of the chorus a little bit you know to really draw the attention and then you know maybe lean back a little bit for the verses at least that's always been my theory but oh yeah and uh, that's why it's always been disappointed when disappointing when you see a, a band before you've heard their recorded material and it's like man they have all this energy and then you listen to the recording and it's like yeah the drummer is being really held back by uh, either the producer or the click track <laughs> you know now on the bad side of that i did see a few pumpkins shows where let's say maybe somebody was under the influence of something that might make them want to play lightning fast uh <laughs> there there were some tempo issues where i was like jesus christ how are they playing yeah. this fast but you know that's the psa for don't use heroin i don't know would that make I you want to play faster sleepy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe i mean in my was, experience Maybe something else was in there to, you know, balance it out. Yeah. Yeah. Bring him up to show speed. The other you see, like, you see, like that that worked better as a PSA about don't use hardcore drugs in the 90s because it <laughs> keeps fucking up my favorite bands. You know, it it's sure like, does. hey, why can't Alice in Chains or Stone Temple Pilots do a new record? Uh, singers in rehab. It's like, man, why isn't Jimmy Chamberlain in the band anymore? Oh, because, you know, he had a heroin overdose. <laughs> that killed Jonathan Melvoin. I mean, it's just like, it made better sense than like, you know, drugs are bad. Rockers against drugs on MTV. Right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Well, you can't tell people not to do drugs. You know, if somebody wants to do drugs, they're going to do it. You know, you can show them all the proof against it. I think if somebody, you know, thinks they want to do drugs, then they're going to do it. Uh, yeah. At least in my experience, it's been that way, but. And it doesn't always mean that you're a better drummer if you're under the influence. It's just more of like, oh god, I, I would say you'd be a, a worse drummer. Yeah, I mean, I, I I once I once played a show drunk, and my god, it was like, why is it my bandmates feel five miles away from me, and why <laughs> right. are all the why are all the songs much faster? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely played under the influence of alcohol many times in the '90s, but no major fuck ups, but. Uh, I can't imagine playing on, you know, stoned or on any other kind of drugs. That'd be a nightmare. Yeah. Speaking of playing on drug, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> one of the guys I want to mention that I, I feel like is underappreciated just because the band out shines him and the front man is, is Phil Selway from Radiohead. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, if you look at the run from, of like the Benz and OK Computer you know, those albums and, and some of the stuff he does on OK Computer, I know that they took his parts and like looped them on on a song like Airbag. But like, I really appreciate the how that band can go from total insanity of a song like Paranoid Android and, you know, basically write the Bohemian Rhapsody of the 90s and then <laughs> can write these like really delicate sort of almost ballads. On songs like uh, "No Excuses" or um, "Karma Police" and stuff like that, but he's like, he's he finds he's one of those guys where I feel like when they talk about like knowing when not to play, like he's perfect as far as as that goes. Like there's never overplaying on yeah. those records. Now I'm not as I I won't defend 
Radiohead going into the 2000s as much. I've I kind of started to lose interest uh, after like um, what's the record? when they decided uh, that one riff is enough for a song and that's it. Yeah, when they got into I think they have two drummers now. Don't they have like a yeah. a percussionist drummer? As yeah, well his name, uh, he's actually Tom York. Has a full kit. Yeah, he's yeah. on. Uh, if you watch the what do you call it from the basement? Yeah, uh, the performance where they have two drummers is actually pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I'm not a big two drummer guy. Obviously, most drummers aren't, but uh, the stuff that they did was pretty interesting. It's a little too Almond yeah. Brothers for me to do uh, the two drummer thing. Yeah, sure. here's here's what's funny: the two drummer thing. It's like Almond Brothers, Grateful Dead, but Fugazi did it a lot towards the end of their time together. You know, and that I think was you guys one... forgot the most important one: Thirty Eight Special. Oh, <laughs> I forgot that those guys had a two drummer Bud situation. Whole surfers had two drummers. Melvin's did a pretty cool two drummer thing for a while. Oh yeah, that was yeah, really Melvin's awesome. Yeah, Melvin's get away with anything because they 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 are insane. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and we interviewed Dale and asked him about that. I was like, "How do you do that?" He's like, "I don't know. We just do it." <laughs> the coolest thing about that was that uh, uh, what's his name? The other drummer. I can't remember. His Cody. Name. Cody Willis. Cody. Yeah, Cody is left-handed. And they set up. It was almost like a mirror image. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna read a few more comments from our uh, folks over at Patreon. Uh, Jim Lazowski says the drummers from Nutramilk Hotel, the Afghan Wigs, Hum, and Tool all come to mind. Mm-hmm. I think those are all. Yeah. I would not say that I... the drummer from Tool is underappreciated. But... No, he's not underappreciated. <laughs> no, I think. But you think Nutramilk Hotel, Afghan Wigs, and Hum. I think all those bands, because they're lesser known bands. Sure. You could yeah. Brian's that. a great drummer from home. Brian St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's my homie, too. Yeah. But if we're, if we're talking about the drummer from Afghan Wigs, aren't we really talking about Greg Dooley? Because I, I, I do think that the Gentleman, Black Love, 1965, that's a string of like very strum, rhythm-specific records. And uh-huh. there's three different drummers on all those records. Well, yeah, so. Steve. Yeah, Steve Earle was their drummer up until uh, Black Love, and then they got a session drummer, and then they got a different drummer for 1965. And like the guy that they've been playing with off and on is uh, Cully Simington, who plays. That's a new guy, right? Well, he's kind of plays with the touring drummer sometimes. Yeah, he he's played with uh, lately cursive and beach slang and just. An all-around amazing drummer and a good yeah, dude. He's a great drummer. Um, I saw him live with that guy. But it, it's it's just kind of like yeah, I, I'm hearing what Jason's saying. It's like yeah, uh, it, it kind of became like who's playing drums? I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of like they ended the Afghan Wigs ended the '90s like how uh, the Jayhawks started their career. Where it's like different drummer on each record, and then they find Tim O'Regan, and it's like you'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. Some other folks chimed in with, um, let's see, Frank Garcia. I don't know how to say your full last name. Uh, Heigl. I'm going to, I'm going to guess that Frank. I'm sorry if I Hell. slaughtered that. Hell. His, his last name is Hell. He's Frank from Garcia UN- Hell. Yeah. Okay. He's from what? Uh, I know him through uh, the UNT. Speaking of talking about North Texas, uh, I know him because he used to do a show called Frequency Down on KNTU. And as far as I know, he is living in Los Angeles these days. Oh, okay. Hey, Frank. Yeah. 
Frank Hell. He's a drummer? Good dude. No, he's um, one of our commenters. Oh, yeah. sorry. Um, and he Confused. said, uh, he said Joey Wanaker always felt underrated to me. He stepped up for many big big acts and delivered. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Jimmy Chamberlain, uh, Kelly Scott, Mac McNeely, John Stainer, Janet Weiss, and he also said, "Too bad Autolux's first EP came out in 2001, or else Carla Azar would be at the top of my list." So, well, you can look her up. Uh, she was playing with uh, Wendy and Lisa back in the 90s. So, oh, okay. Well, we'll get to Autolux. Do you want to see we... some early Carla Azar stuff? We'll, we'll get to Autolux when we do the Dig Me Out 2000s podcast. That'll be uh, launched sometime in the future. Uh, let's see. Johnny Hooper also seconded the McNeely vote. And a lot of people mentioned Jimmy Chamberlain and Matt yeah. Chamberlain. He mentioned, shout out to Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth. Oh, yeah. Sonic Youth. I wouldn't uh, necessarily call him an 80s drummer or 90s drummer just because Sonic Youth was doing stuff for so long there. But That's true. Bradley Mellenbacher mentioned Dave Grohl, which I think already has come up. Um, and he said, he, he made a good comment. He said, a lot of catchy drum intros were all all, all over alternative rock radio. Uh, the Sweater Song, Two, <laughs> two Princes, Cherub Rock, Cannonball, oh, Keep Them Separated. Which was uh, not the name of the song, but I, I know what he was going for there. Uh, and then Scott, uh, I'm going to say Russell Halgram said this one. Mike Borden. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, granted, got got his name in the late '80s out with Faith No More. Right. But they were they existed in the '90s. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like. Uh, uh, a small victory, um, or, or a midlife crisis. That's the one that has the drum beat intro. Right. I, I want to throw one out there. It was an album that we did uh, not too long ago, uh, Living Color, and I want to mention Will Calhoun. Um, oh, he's awesome! Amazing yeah. drummer. I, I think I greatly, you know, raised my level of respect and and interest in listening to Living Color overall just by listening to that Stain record that we reviewed. Yeah. Uh, they were another kind of band's band. They were all just all shredding musicians, uh, but they kind of crossed over a little a little bit. But I yeah. feel like yeah. musicians were definitely like more into them than most people, and and yeah. still doing it, still, for sure, still active. Yeah. All right. So and, let's and go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. I was just going to show. I'll make this really quick, and this is just me being like Mr. Modern Drummer, going to Guitar Center every every few months. Carter Beaufort of Dave Matthews Band, I think, is underappreciated oh, yeah, because. Great. Because people hate Dave Matthews Band because of their fans, and like, yeah, it can be a Is little excessive. <laughs> well, it's a little excessive mm-hmm. about Dave Matthews being all like, oh, yeah, yeah. but like Carter Beaufort, it was like he took Dennis Chambers and Stuart Copeland and just went much further. I hate Dave Matthews Band because they dumped all their crap in the <laughs> Chicago water or whatever. <laughs> That's a legit reason to do that. Totes. Yeah. All right, let's talk about our favorite drum parts, or they can even they could be ten seconds. But there's a part in a song, or there's a or there's a beat, and you're like that blows my mind every time I hear it, or I love it. I uh, can't wait for that part to come up in the song. I'm gonna go first this time because there's one I have to mention. Just I just gotta get it in, and that is Bryant St. Pierre's "Phil" at the beginning of <laughs> "Stars" by Hum. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a great one. I, that that has mesmerized me since I first heard that on 120 minutes at like two o'clock in the morning back in whatever it was, 1995 or whatever. Uh, yeah. And I've air drummed to that ever since. So me too. And yes. and I got. I, uh, when Cave Mountains did our first show, uh, we did all cover songs. Well, mostly all cover songs. And we played that song. And I was so happy to play that intro. But also, I really loved playing the... Like, right before the outro. Where it's like, he does this snare to hi-hat to China. And, man, that that's that whole record has many great moments like stuff that I was listening, I listened to it again in preparation for this episode. I'm like, the air drumming happened a lot. So I think if people were walking by my desk, I'd be like, what's Eric doing? It's like, oh, he's just doing what he does every day. But in, in particular, it was, you know, stars and I like your hair along. <laughs> and I, I want to. Mention- if we were going to talk this much about Brian, I should have, he, he would have done it. I could have oh. called him. You know, <laughs> next that's time our, that's been our, one of our white whales is I've tried to get somebody on from from home for like the last uh, six years. And it's like, oh, yeah. And then uh, never, we're not gonna be able to do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're, we'll have to figure out a way to get them on. I, I want to mention there's a single that came out uh, apart from any of their records called Puppets and Aphids came out in 98. And the song Puppets has you know, an awesome part to the song where it goes into like halftime. And he does this thing. There's like, I don't know what he's doing exactly, but he's like dragging the beat and people can go listen to it. It's a, you can find it on like YouTube and stuff like that. But he, he, and he puts into this, this fill. There's like, uh, bells chiming and stuff. It's crazy. It's just, it's an awesome, like 10 seconds of the song. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. Cause it's not an album track. And it's weird. I think I had this like the CD single of that or something, but I don't. I don't remember that song. But I'll look it up. I'll I'll put it if I can. I'll put it in the playlist, and people can check it out. So that's that's one of my favorite, or two of my favorite parts of all time. your favorite songs or parts of any 90s song i think the first thing that comes to mind is there is a Jawbox song called chinese fork tie mm-hmm. that has this, <laughs> this crazy cool drum beat and everything in it's great uh, obviously you know seeing zach play that night after night was very uh pleasurable for me and 
think I might have stolen a few things here and there if you <laughs> listen to Lula Divinia. But is that, is that the one where he's screaming like ten feet tall and bulletproof? Is that that yep. song? Uh, I believe oh, so. Yeah. yeah, that yep. song is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there. Oh, what is it? It's, there's a fill. There's a bitch magnet fill that whenever I used to do drum checks or sound checks, I'd always do this fill. It's off the album Umber, and I can't remember. I think it's something like has has to do with goats, like uh, something goat country goat. Move on, and I'll look at my album and see what it's called. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Somebody else talk while I'm looking. It's called. Do, 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 do. Goat-legged country god. The fill at the beginning of that. It's on Bitch Magnet's Umber. Just, I think Jason Gherkin figured it out, showed me how to play it, and then I played it, like, all the time after that. Awesome. But uh, I have to go back. Yeah. We, we did an episode on Bitch Magnet, so I have to oh, go really? back. And, yeah, we had John on when he had his book out. So Yeah, I think I love that band. I think Umber is probably my favorite. But there's obviously the drumming on those albums is amazing. Yes. I mean, the musicianship is crazy on all those records, but. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and then everybody wanted to shoot Sue Young, you know, when he started seeing because <laughs> it wasn't braggy enough. Right. Uh, Eric, I know you I know you have. Some. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, definitely got to echo Chinese fork tie. Also, uh, Empire of One. I still don't really know what Zach is playing on that um, and how he break it down. Uh, definitely, you prefer an astronaut, as we talked about. Um, Mike Musburger, his drumming on the Posies, Frosting on the Beater, still is incredible. And I, I actually saw him play with the Posies a few nights ago. He still got it. I mean, I, I couldn't help but like certain key points when they would play songs from Frosting on the Beater. I was air drumming, but not the entire time. Um, but yeah, that he, it, it's like he could be just a, a straightforward drummer and then he'd have like a small little amount of space to go like Keith Moon and then go right back into the pocket. You know, there's a really good uh, Shiner song after me. I think it's called Andalusia. It's off the egg. Uh-huh. It's instrumental. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many like memorable fills in that. Just like every one of them is kind of like a unique fill. Like there's no cookie cutter fill in that song. That's actually my favorite Shiner record. <laughs> Just funny. That has a couple of there's a, like a couple of uh, instrumentals on that track on that on that album that are amazing. I've always been a fan. I know you are to uh, the the Kelly Scott's drum fill and their cover of "Enjoy the Silence." It's yeah. I don't know. It's just placed the way it's placed and like the anticipation um, as it goes into the heavies part is great. Another song I 
I, I've always loved the drums too, and I love the play is Scentless Apprentice bec- uh, by Nirvana. So it's just Dave Grohl just bashing, and it's this really heavy kick drum beat. And it's just one of those things like whenever I get behind a kit, it's one of the first things I just start monkeying around with and play. It's awesome um, to throw those flams in there too. Like every snare hits a flam. Yeah. The way he did. Yeah. So th- those are two that that come to mind. What, what is a flam? Oh, flams basically when you kind of hit the both sticks at the same time together, but they're just a hair off. So oh. it kind of makes like that double hit, like a quick hit. Ah, I That's have learned yeah. something. Simple definition of what it is, but it's kind of like what "We Will Rock You" is based on. Yeah, like those snare hits or flams. Basically, he's not he's not hitting them perfectly at the same time. Right. They're off by a little bit, and it gives it like more meat. Oh, actually, that uh, Shiner song I was telling you about. A lot of those fills have some just crazy flam combinations in them. Uh, speaking of crazy combinations i want to mention jimmy chamberlain has come up but one of the songs that has always stuck in my brain as far as uh being kind of crazy is hello kitty cat which is on pisces iscariot uh the Mm -hmm. album that came out after siamese dream it's basically it's a collection of b-sides is the way it was pitched at the time but it's it really is it stands on its own as an album but if you listen to that song and i don't again i'm not a drummer so i don't know what he's doing exactly when I listen to it, the, it sounds like the kick is like never, it never stops. Like the kick is just like constantly hitting or it's hitting like in this rhythm that sounds like that. And then if you listen when it comes in in the, in the verses, the hi-hat actually gets more intense. And I assume that that's his left foot just like pounding. And then he's doing like stuff on the snare and the toms. So I'm like thinking he's got all four limbs working like at, at like an incredible speed. And I don't know how he does it because it's the it sounds like the kick or the sorry the uh, snare foot is like playing thirty second notes like it's really fast, and I would think that your brain would not want you to work that way with your other leg going like <laughs> half that speed doing these kick hits. So I don't know what is going on there. I don't know if you guys are familiar enough with that song, but I, that is a song no. But always... I'm intrigued now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes to like Jimmy Chamberlain stuff, like the live version of Geek USA that was on the Vuforia mm-hmm. uh, tape, um, I mean, that is still like, oh my God. Because uh, what's really unfortunate about Siamese Dream is that Butch Vig tried to make them sound like at, in time as much as humanly possible, and it kind of drained the intensity of the songs. But like, you watching yeah, they performed on german tv and just the the intro and the just the i was like my god <laughs> so it's it, it's kind of like that was jimmy's mo around that time same with the song that you're talking about tim okay yeah and i i know uh we sort of dismissed the the drummers of the wigs but um, oh, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say I. Uh, I definitely thought Steve Earle was great. Well, and um, yeah. and I actually think the new guy is good. I but in that actually the albums that I like the most are probably ones where I don't even know who the drummer is. Uh, I just well, like the songs better. That's um, how I am. I mean, Black Love is my favorite Wigs album. But when I was listening back to what Steve Earle did on Gentlemen, 
there's two songs in a row. One is When We Two Parted and then Fountain and Fairfax. And you yeah. listen to like the thing that I really like about When We Two Parted is the drums really matter in that song. Like when you get into the verse, there's almost nothing going on in the song except for he's doing like kick beats that actually matter and are like a bit aggressive compared to what is going on with the bass and there's like no guitar and it's just vocal some bass and then he's doing like bump 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 and like really driving the song at that point and then that swing that he's got in fountain in fairfax to to play off of that lead guitar line that um greg dooley's playing it's just so unique to the 90s you know there there weren't a lot of bands that like in terms of having almost like a 70s kind of hard rock swing like it's it's almost like in that vein like i think of like thin lizzy or something like that when i hear that song where it has like that i don't know if that's a backbeat or what the technical term is in terms of that but it has like this little like off kilter swing to it which i really like so those two songs in terms of drum performance are ones that i always and yeah i would that definitely say ones i like when when steve earl was in the band it, it was more he definitely was a more funky drummer. Like there was definitely more, I wouldn't say groove cause like they still had a groove, but he was almost kind of like jazzy. I don't, I don't know, but yeah. he, I, he actually does remind me of, uh, was it Brian Downey, the guy from Thin Lizzy, uh, his drumming, I would say is similar, you know, they, right. It's definitely the drum part is almost like a vocal line. Um, you know, it, 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 it uh, what were you saying? It, it belongs there, you know. Like the song couldn't exist without this specific thing. It right. kind of makes a song. Um, so I see what you're saying about that. And then I think Thin Lizzy, Thin Lizzy was like that too, for sure. When you mentioned uh, the the instrumental song uh, Andalusia from the Egg, uh, it made me think of uh, one of the uh, songs on. Uh, fantastic planet which is another space song and mm-hmm. that and Love that it. drum beat you know it's funny because that record is so long and we've debated many many times about the length of albums in the 90s but like somehow that record even though it's long and even though we've you know ragged on records that are 77 minutes long in the 90s that record somehow manages to keep a pace that doesn't wear you down i think when we reviewed it, there was like one song we were like, ah, we could lose Leo. (laughs) That was like the one track they were like, this isn't, this isn't up to par with the rest of the, the album, but you know, that's Leo. doesn't really feel like it's the same theme as everything else. Right. Well, it's also in um, third person and the rest of the album is in first person when they sing, when he, with the lyrics, it's almost like, I think we had it, like a advanced copy of it in the Shiner van. And I always remember like it flipped the tape over, right? Like Leo was the first song after the tape flipped over. So it was almost like flipping an album over to us. Right. Um, I do remember, I didn't think it was too long, but a couple uh, people had mentioned, you know, I think maybe Alan or Paul was like, thought it was pretty long. It is a long record. It is a long record. But that and another space song, I think, is like track 14 or 15. But like, I absolutely light up when that song comes on. That that oh, drum beat great. is so cool. 
Um, the last then, like four or five songs on the record are my favorite. Well, that and then Heliotropic has amazing drumming on it too. I mean, the whole record does, but yeah. Actually, my favorite drumming uh, from Kelly is on uh, the Blinker the Star record. I think it's some. Of, it's definitely my favorite drumming from Kelly. I think it's really like tasteful and has cool like feel to it. I do. I do like his you know more bombastic stuff with Failure, but I think. Just the finesse he played with on the Blink of the Star record was great. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that maybe that uh, was an opportunity for him to show off a different side. We don't know because he didn't make it to this episode. So we. Yeah. Well, let's hope he's okay. Let's hope he's okay, yeah. and that he just forgot. Maybe. He, maybe he was <laughs> just really watching the uh, the Cavs and the super Warriors. Into the Golden State game. Listen, that ended I'm an hour both. ago. You know, I can. Turn the volume down and talk to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm actually from Cleveland and I like the Cavs, so I made it. <laughs> there you go, Jay. What drummers do you think have been the most influential of '90s drummers? Uh, I'll mention one. I guess just for rock overall from the '90s forward, I can't. I can't help but think that Lars Ulrich wasn't the biggest influence set aside his live performance but between you know the more of the thrash stuff and then what he did on the Black Album I mean that that sound became the sound that every rock band wanted to go get and when you listen to rock radio now most bands are still in that vein uh, that you know heavy guitar sound with huge uh drums right so i i can't help but think that if you had to pick one person that was influential from 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 the earliest point in the 90s till now it, it might be him that's interesting because you know that we've talked about metallic on this show and it's there's almost like a divide between two different bands and, and, and i know and they're 90s. an eight, right and i know they're an 80s band but i think the black album is more influential than the 80s stuff you're probably right. Definitely more so than St. Anger. So <laughs> You have to bring it up, don't you, Tim? I do. Just, I, I just have to twist the knife. Just, you're just, just yeah, you're just spiting me, aren't you? Tell me, tell me, Eric, uh, yeah. drummers that you think have been influential uh going forward out of uh, from the nineties into the two thousands. Sure. Um, one of the ones that we haven't talked about is Vinnie Paul of Pantera. Now, you can technically say Vinnie Paul is a drummer of the 80s because well, Pantera started in the 80s, um, you know, with uh, Terry on lead vocals. Um, but And then they get Phil Anselmo later in the 80s. But Vinnie Paul's drumming on Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar Display of Power, Far Beyond Driven, all very, very influential. And I can, I can definitely hear it in a lot of groove eccentric metal bands uh damon atkinson a braid uh just just kind of taking the what brendan canty was doing zach barocas was doing and just going a little bit further
Derek Plord of uh, Lagwagon. He was the original drummer. Uh, just the concept of playing super fast, uh, metalish kind of drumming, but making it all very tasteful. Uh, he's he's a guy that I don't think really gets a lot of mentions because unfortunately he he took his own life a number of years ago. Uh, but he was absolutely influential, and I don't think pop punk would really be what it is uh, considered because of if it weren't for him. And uh, one other drummer I'll I'll mention, Dan Panic of a Screeching Weasel. Uh, he was one of many many drummers. Uh, playing with Ben Weasel's ever-revolving cast of characters, but just the way that he could play, essentially, it wasn't necessarily the the Tommy Ramone style of drumming, but definitely the Marky Ramone style of drumming, where there's no fills, just very, very no frills kind of approach. But you listen to an album like My Brain Hurts, and it's just, it's just the drumming is impeccable, and uh, definitely a big influence on uh, punk drummers, as far as like what I hear in terms of uh, drumming on, on a punk record. Tim. Tim Dow. Yes. What do At you think service. about, what do you, what do you think about drummers that have made it, who have been impactful on uh, future drummers from, you know, guys in the, in the nineties that influenced the two thousands? I think I'm going to have to say Matt Cameron with, you know, maybe Jimmy Chamberlain coming in a close second behind. But there's that one '90s drum beat. It's like do do that do do that do that do do you know like that. And the Smashing Pumpkins had it in like a billion songs. But right. I think I think Matt Cameron actually was playing it way back in Skinyard. You know, even before he was in Soundgarden. But who knows who influenced who and you know which came first, the chicken or the egg? But I think that kind of beat and that kind of groove in rock drumming is, you know, I think it got kind of solidified in the nineties. And I was trying to think about, you know, what bands in, in the two thousands are, have, are defined by their drummers in the way that nineties bands are, you know, which, you know, when we think about, you know, Dave Grohl defining, you know, two early Foo Fighters, obviously Taylor Hawkins takes over, but then, you know, defining Nirvana Pearl Jam having Dave uh, Abrazizi and then, you know, Matt Cameron, Jimmy Chamberlain. It seems like that was an era in which you had, you know, very distinct and definitive drummers. And I feel like that doesn't happen as much in the 2000s with like straight up rock. I think that maybe that happens more with metal. So I think that the the observation of Lars Ulrich is probably spot on. I don't know. I think... 2000s bands that uh there's like three i would say for me like if i was going to see something and i would be like yeah i can't wait to see this drummer it'd be elon rubin with nine inch nails he's probably my favorite modern drummer uh no pun intended (laughs) and then uh let's see great uh, publication john theodore with queens of the stone age i think he's phenomenal i would go see them just for him there was one more. I guess I can't remember it now, but number one being Ilan Rubin. Like, I'm going to go see them on this tour, and I'm always interested to see like what he does uh, and how they integrate him into the show because he plays bass and keyboards and sings and does all kinds of shit. So Yeah, he's got his own band, The New Regime. Which uh, I'm not a fan of that. 
I have to say, but yeah, he is a talented dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, strangely enough, I met his father uh, when I saw the new regime, and his mm. father is very proud of his son. I'll just say that. As, I'd be proud of him too. Yeah, very talented. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we uh, we had an interesting episode. We covered a lot. <laughs> We talked about a lot of drummers. I'm sure, like with our Guitar Gods episode, we will get some very pointed feedback about who we neglected to <laughs> mention. I bet you will. Uh, yeah. You know, we. to be honest, we still get comments from an episode well over a year ago about, hey, you didn't talk about so-and-so. And you know what? <laughs> That's awesome that people are still discovering that episode and, and still writing comments about episodes from years ago. Because they just discovered them, so we appreciate that feedback. I'm I know that within the course of our hour and fifteen or twenty minutes, whatever it was, that we did not speak about every drummer that deserves mention, um, but we got to a lot of them. So feel free to comment on this episode and give us some guff if we missed your guy out there, folks. Can I just can I just say this? Yeah. Uh, if people were missing Larry Mullen Jr., uh, I characterize him as an '80s drummer, and if you I want to also. hear. a if you want to hear a lot of praise for him, listen to the U2 Roundtable episode. Yeah, there you go. When we did our U2 Roundtable, that's uh, covering all that's of the That's where the, the love gets, happens. So I want to uh, remind folks about Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. That's where you can go to leave comments, get entered into contests, bonus content, and vote in our polls, which you can now make suggestions for albums for us to review over at digmeoutpodcast.com, and we'll randomly select them to put them into polls each month. So our patrons can vote on them. Tim, thank you for doing this. We hope you had it's a good my time. my pleasure. I um, did. You know, I'm going to give you a couple things I was thinking before I yes. forget them. Uh, if you do happen to do a playlist, uh, the number one requested Shiner song when I was in the band was My Life as a Housewife. So that would be the song most full of Tim Dow trickery. Uh, and then the other thing was Jason Gherkin uh, was also in a band called Molly McGuire, who are phenomenal. And yep. uh, just wanted to remind people, maybe check them out, too. Um, their album Lime mm-hmm. is great. And then they just put out another record called Three. I think it was like two years ago. And it's probably his best drumming ever. So that's about it. Awesome. And people can follow you on Instagram if they so choose or right that's uh dim tau d-i-m-t-a-o eric once again thank you for coming back oh always a pleasure to be on the show thank you for having me and putting up with my lengthy rants especially that (laughs) you're 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 like touching like the deep deep rooted story that is drumming there you go well eventually we'll get to bass players i don't know when uh, you can come back for that one, but then I'll get to sure. share my share my real passion, which is the uh, the, the four string mastery. <laughs> if folks, if you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim, and we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. 
as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Words are very-